Again, welcome to uh, Grace Church of Philadelphia, Grace Church of Philly, legally. And uh, we welcome those that are listening from home, whether in Spanish or French or English. We're thankful that you are joining us this morning, for some of you this afternoon. We're looking at the uh, seven signs that John has chosen to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ. This morning we're in John chapter 6. I'll be reading the first 15 verses of John chapter 6. This is where we see Jesus as the bread of life. This is the one sign of the seven that is also mentioned in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, only John adds a lengthy, what is called the bread of life discourse to this feeding of the 5,000 that is not included in the Synoptic Gospels. Let's look at God's Word this morning and see what John will teach us as he points us to Jesus Christ. John chapter 6 and verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to, on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Obviously, this is a real miracle. It does demonstrate the incredible power of God to multiply a little bit, to provide for an incredible crowd. And we must take a look at the miracle but we would be wrong if we did not recognize that there is much more to this miracle. We didn't read the entire chapter of six, but were we to read on, we would quickly find out that this is not simply a story about human hunger. 
or a story about the miracle of feeding so many with so little, though it is that. It is primarily about Jesus Christ. This is one of the seven signs that John has chosen to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you would believe on him and that believing you might have life through his name. I remind you that miracles like this are not normative miracles. By that, I mean we don't expect them every day. We would have liked to have seen them many times. I can remember there were times in West Philly when we were meeting there and had uh, small groups in our home. I remember one night we had 17 people crowded into that spot and we always ate and Dawn had made a big crock pot of lentil soup. And I can remember it going down and down and as more people came in and finally I can remember them with the spatula trying to scrape out what was left. And I think some people went home hungry that night. Jesus did not multiply uh, the lentil soup. Uh, this is not normative. In the 50 years that I've been following Jesus, I have not seen this duplicated in such a manner. Though I must say, he is always the God that can turn a little into much. He is always the God that supplies abundantly in marvelous ways for his, his people. But this particular miracle is certainly unique. But again, it's not simply about feeding hungry people. We will see very quickly as, if you will take time to read the rest of the chapter today, that what Jesus is doing is really metaphorical in some way for what he does spiritually in this world in the lives of people. That vast crowd represents the needy of the world. And Jesus, with his miraculous power to provide abundantly, will go on to say, I am the bread of life. And it doesn't matter how many people there are in this world, how many needs there are in this world, if any man will come to me, he'll never hunger. If he will believe in me, he'll never thirst that there is enough bread for spiritual life in Jesus Christ for anyone and everyone in the world. But when we look at this miracle as it points us to Jesus, we find a number of things about him that ought to encourage us, encourage us and challenge us to be like him. One thing that is clear from the story is that Jesus cares about the plight, the desperate plight, the need of the multitudes of the masses. And he wants his disciples to care also. He sees all these people as he sits on top of the mountain and he knows that they're hungry. John tells us that Jesus has moved to the north country He's in that area that's called Galilee of the Nations. He's by the Sea of Galilee, which later uh, in the first century uh, was called the Sea of Tiberias, letting us know that John is writing this at some point later in the first century. 
But we find here, if you've been reading through the Gospel of John, we find what we call a narrative gap. Because right before this, Jesus was in Jerusalem. And now all of a sudden, he is at the Sea of Galilee toward the, toward the north. John is chronological, but John is not comprehensive. As he said, if we were to write everything that Jesus did, all the, the world could not contain all the books. So John is selective. So we recognize as we read, that's a quick move from Jerusalem to Galilee, but John is interested in this wonderful miracle that Jesus performs. He also mentions the Passover because in some sense, this miracle of multiplying bread is significant for this time of of Passover because bread would be on everybody's mind. They would eat the unleavened bread. It's the second Passover that we come to in the Gospel of John. So this miracle is is taking place in an, an atmosphere where redemption is on everyone's mind. They are thinking about that great deliverance by God when he brought his people out of Egypt and how he wonderfully provided for them in the wilderness. So Jesus asks a question. If you notice while reading, there's only three short statements that Jesus makes in this entire passage. The first one is this question. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? John tells us there were 5,000 men there. The estimate is that the crowd was probably 15 to 20,000 people, if you included the women and children, that would have been there also. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And John tells us Jesus is testing their faith. I mean, this is what Jesus does. Do we really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah? He is in the business of testing our faith. If you've walked with him for any length of time, then you know your faith has been tested, whether it's raising a family, going to school, doing ministry. Jesus wants us to trust him, to believe that he can sustain us in whatever he calls us to do, that though he may not do it a miracle like this, he is still the one who abundantly provides for his children according to his sovereign will. Even Paul said, yeah, I've learned to be content. You know, I trust God. If he wants to meet my need, he can meet my need. He says, I, I have been low, I've been high. I've been full and I've been hungry. He says, I trust God in all these circumstances in life because I know that in his sovereign will, if he wants to, he can multiply a little and make it a lot. And on the other hand, if he wants me to be hungry, then I will accept hunger as the will of God. It does not diminish at all his power to provide for his people. The miracle demonstrates his ability to miraculously meet a 
physical need. But again, the real point is the sign that Jesus is the bread of life. He is sufficient to always meet the spiritual need. There is no thirsty soul that has ever cried out to Jesus Christ that that left thirsty. There is no hungry heart that has ever cried out in faith that has ever gone away hungry if they've come to Jesus Christ. Jesus wants us to think about the the, the plight of the masses of hungry people. He wants us to think about how, how the world needs the bread of life. He wants us to, to believe that he is sufficient to quench the thirst and satisfy the hunger of everyone who comes to him. This is what Jesus does characteristically in his life. He wants us to think about the need of people. One day Jesus said to his disciples back in, the, uh, in his uh, 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 conversation with the woman at the well, uh, as his disciples were coming back, from, from, as they came back from town and as they watched the townspeople following them, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then, then, then comes the harvest? And then he tells them, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white already to the harvest. They're almost to the point where the crop is ruined. It's in a desperate condition. It's ready to be harvested. When Jesus looked at 5,000 men, 15,000 to 20,000 people sitting there, he just did not see hungry bodies. And he didn't just want his disciples to see mouths that needed to be fed. He saw souls that needed to feed on, to eat the bread of life and be satisfied. In Matthew 9 it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. And I love the way he talks about it. He calls it a harvest. He doesn't just say it's fields with stuff growing in it. No, it's fields that are producing fruit. And, and all it needs is for God's people to see it and to go out there and pluck the fruit that God is providing. The physical hunger of the multitudes, again, represents the enormous spiritual need of the masses of the world and of this city. So many will read this text and they will see in it a basis for humanitarian ministry. Jesus fed the 5,000. And so with our little resources that we have, we must go out and feed people. And if that's all that we do, 
then we miss the bigger point. It is something that we should do. I mean, we did that yesterday. We didn't feed them much. We fed them hot dogs, but we gave them toys and we gave them clothing. And uh, these are real physical needs that people have. But if that's all we gave them, then that need that was met will be a need next week or the following week. We did not satisfy the need that they have. I remember when I was uh, pastoring in Queens, New York, and had befriended a a Turkish Muslim group and had a number of conversations with them about the difference between Christ and Mohammed and Islam and Christianity. And, and, uh, and I considered them friends of mine, even though we disagreed theologically on everything. They were friends. And one day around Thanksgiving, they, they had a great idea. They said, why don't we, our mosque and your church, why don't we work together to give out turkeys and feed the hungry on Thanksgiving. And I said, no, I cannot do that. I mean, I want to feed the hungry, but I don't want to just feed the hungry. I will with one hand feed the hungry and with the hungry body, and with the other hand, I will give the gospel of Jesus Christ, which feeds the soul. And you don't want that. And so, no, we cannot do that together because our mission is different. Our mission is not simply humanitarian to meet a need that will arise again in a short time. Our mission is to meet a spiritual need that can be satisfied both now and forever. It's like Jesus again said to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But the water that I will give, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later, Jesus will say to the crowd that he fed, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Don't put all your energy into just getting food for your body, but put your energy into having eternal life, which is a gift from the Son of Man. He could have said it this way to the crowd that day. He could have said, everyone who eats this bread will be hungry again. But whoever eats the bread that I will give him will never hunger again. If you follow Jesus in his teaching, you find that, 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 that one of the common threads in his teaching is rebuking people for their, their desire for immediate gratification rather than for eternal joy. I remember uh, the founder of the university we went to, 
used to have famous sayings. Uh, he has a little booklet called Things I Have Learned, which I think everyone should read at some point in their life, just practical, biblical sense about daily living. But he would often say, don't sacrifice the permanent, the eternal, on the altar of the immediate. That is, don't take that which is eternal, like eternal life, and give it away, burn it, sacrifice it, just so you can have a moment of pleasure. Be like Moses. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Moses chose rather to be afflicted with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a moment, for a season. This is true of us in so many ways. We want our bodies fed. We want that immediate. And we want more of that. That's what the people wanted from Jesus. They wanted their bellies fed more. And Jesus said, no, there's something more important. Don't sacrifice the eternal, the permanent, on the altar of the immediate. But we live that way. We will give up the honor of Christ, give up pleasing Christ for a moment of pleasure. It's why we choose sin over obedience at times, because we think of now, we don't think of him and eternity. It explains why we don't give generously, because we are taking care of the moment. We are not laying up treasure in heaven where moth and dust does not corrupt. It explains often why we miss Sunday worship, that we don't see uh, the gathering of God's people on the Lord's day as something that has eternal value in it. It explains why we avoid solving problems in marriage. We, we, we prefer an immediate moment of, of isolation or peace rather than a long-term solution that will bring honor to God. It explains why people abuse drugs and alcohol. It's about immediate gratification. We love immediate gratification. But Jesus says, don't give yourself to the stuff that is only temporary, that perishes. Don't spend your life trying to gain and consume that which will never satisfy your soul. He wants us to know that every moment of gratification, whether it's from a good source or an evil source, every moment is just that, a moment. But what he gives is eternal. And if we will be satisfied in Jesus Christ, if we will keep seeking him in our lives, as he says, keep coming to me, you'll never hunger. Keep believing in me, you'll never thirst. If we will do that, then we will live lives that we can say with Paul, I am content in anything in life. 
because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 5 is a question that we should all ponder. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? How are we to bring the gospel to the needy world that, that, that is around us? One of the things that Jesus does as he performs this miracle is, is he exposes the disciples and he exposes us to our inability. He wants us to see the great need and he wants us to see our limited resources so that we will look to him and to him alone to accomplish the task that he's given us. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. 200 denarii would be well over a half a year's wages for the average labor working man in first century Palestine. They certainly didn't have that much money. But even if they did, it would not be enough bread for each of them to even get a little. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says to him, well, there's a boy here. I wonder what the tone of his voice was. You can't always get that from the Greek. Now, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. <laughs> what are they for so many? I empathize with that because if you look at it with human eyes, it's an impossible task. And if you don't realize in whose presence you are, it's an impossible task. Andrew's observation is realistic. There's a great need. Our resources, our available resources are insufficient. Realistic. But Jesus is going to teach us that we don't live with realism when it comes to spiritual matters. The work of the Lord done in the presence of the Lord is not limited by what is realistic. Realism is not the final answer. Realism says there's enormous need, there's insufficient resources. But we all hopefully know that there is more to the world and more to your life than you can objectively, rationally, scientifically speak to, explain. If you don't believe that, then you live like a pure modernist who thinks that by your human reason, reasoning and by the ability of scientific exercise, you can solve and explain all the problems of life. If you just live on this tier, on this earthly tier, then this is an impossible situation. Human calculations alone often produce a sense of inability. And God wants that, by the way. 
He wants us to come to places in life, both in family and ministry. He wants us to come to places where we see that what needs to be done and what I have to do it is impossible because that is what drives us to prayer. It is what drives us to dependence upon God. It's what drives us to our needs. Unfortunately, we do not hear from Philip or Andrew that, that cry of faith that says, God, Lord, this is all we have, but you're God. You brought this entire universe into being by the word of your power. You spoke and there was light. You spoke and there was the world. But we don't hear that cry of faith. And that's the way we often are as we face life. Not only the problems of our own life, but the need of the world to hear and have access to the gospel of Christ. We see the need. We count the cost. That's why we quit. We quit on marriage because we think this is an impossible relationship. We quit jobs so often because it's impossible to get along with the people that I'm working with. We quit. We see the need. We see our resources. And rightfully, we should say, I can't do it. God, I can't do it. But you can. And I wait, and I look to you, and I pray, and I depend on you, and I'll be patient, believing that in your time. I mean, as a church, we have to ask, how do we reach the neighborhood we're living in? neighborhood that has changed radically, that speaks a language that many of us don't even speak, that has so many great needs? How do we reach the world we're living in that has so radically changed, that has moved, you know, post-Christianity? How do we do it? How do we talk to people that don't even believe there is a God? who laugh at your morality, who mock you for what you believe. How do they come to Christ? Humanly speaking, it's impossible. Their need is so great, your resources are so limited. But Jesus is the all-sufficient bread of life. He simply wants us to act in faith, to believe that, as Paul said, he is the one who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. He wants us to act in faith, to learn to trust him and his power. His second statement is simply this, have the people sit down. Why? Why do you want them to hang around? Don't you want them to go 
get something to eat? That would be my first question if I did not really believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Why? It sounds so ridiculous. Why, why should I pray? I mean, what effect do I see immediately and tangibly from that? Why should I give? Why should I be generous? Why should I sacrifice? Why should I even take the time to talk to somebody about Jesus when they don't want to listen? Why do that? And the simple answer is because there's a God who already knows what he's going to do. And he wants you to participate simply by acting in faith despite the unlikely success of your actions. Have the people sit down. Later, Jesus will talk, make the comparison to him being the bread of life and God's provision of the manna in the wilderness. I mean, this command to have the people sit down is, is almost as unbelievable as telling the Israelites, you want food to eat? When you wake up tomorrow morning, you'll have more than enough food covering the ground. And on the sixth day of the week, when you gather food, gather enough for two days because I'm not giving any on the seventh day. Really, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and food's going to be in the ground. Faith is simply acting in God's word, believing that the one who commands is able. Again, able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us through the Spirit of God. And then his third statement. Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Now I'm sure there were many reasons to gather it up to give it to people to take home. But just the exercise that day of disciples going through this massive crowd with baskets and filling those baskets, knowing that all of that bread that they were picking up had come from five little barley loaves. And just gathering it and gathering it And being assured that God not only provides, he provides abundantly. He provides with overflow. You know, when he creates wine, he creates a lot of wine. When he gives you water for your soul, he gives you so much water that it overflows. When he gives you bread to satisfy your soul, the bread of life, there is always more than enough. You can never exhaust what God will give you in Jesus Christ. 
I would have loved to have been there that day, been part of that gathering of the bread, being reminded that God always has more than we need. And as desperate as my needs may be or the needs of the world may be, that God has such unlimited resources. As Jesus will say later, I am come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I don't want you to just live in me. I want you to live in me to the overflow. But ultimately, we know John's purpose is to bring us to see who Jesus is. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They were familiar enough with the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses, to know that Moses had spoken about a prophet that would be greater than him, a prophet who would have the very words of God in his mouth, and this prophet was, was the Messiah. It's one of the offices of the Messiah. You must be this prophet who is to come in, into the world. And we're going to make you king because they not only knew Messiah was to be a prophet, they knew the promise to King David that he would have a son that would sit on his throne, uh, have a dynasty that would never end, that this messianic prophet would also be a king. But you cannot have Jesus as your prophet and king until you have him as your priest the one who serves in the temple in your behalf. He's that bread of life, and we know that that, that bread in, in Jewish institutions is represented uh, in, in a number of ways. One was in that holy of holy places where the Ark of the Covenant was. There was this manna that was put in that Ark of the Covenant. That manna that that depicts God's ability to, to, to feed his people, to supply the needs of his people. And Jesus will say in this bread of life discourse, I am the bread. Moses gave you this bread, but I'm the real bread that comes down from heaven. But there was other bread in the holy place on that table of what they call the table of showbread. There were 12 loaves of bread that were changed every day. And those 12 loaves of bread were a constant reminder of how God provides fully for all of his people. The 12 tribes of Israel representing the old covenant people of God. Jesus is that table of showbread. He provides fully for his people. But again, in Passover, as mentioned in our text, there's bread. Jesus is the bread of life, and until you eat this bread, until you intimately partake and assimilate by letting Christ come into your life and make you alive, until you eat this bread, you will not, not enjoy the power of his words as prophet and the joy of his reign as king. He's not ready to be your king 
until he has first dealt with all of those enemies that defeat us and destroy us. He will not be king, their king, until he has defeated Satan and sin and death. Later in chapter 6, we can see that the concerns of the people are temporal and carnal and physical. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. But that's not what you need alone, because man does not live by bread alone. You must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And you do that by coming to me, that's eating, and believing in me, that's drinking. And if you do that, you will never hunger, you will never thirst as long as you keep eating and drinking of Jesus Christ. We know we come to the end of the chapter and it says the crowds began to go away when they heard this saying. Because they're still thinking with their physical minds. They don't grasp what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ as Savior, to come to him him in faith. And they start going away. And Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, will you go away also? And Peter says, and this is what you should say, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where do we go? Where can I find that bread that will satisfy my soul? Come to Jesus. It's as simple as that. Come and keep coming and be satisfied. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, I pray if there's anyone sitting here this morning who has not come to you, who sits this morning with a hungry soul, with a dissatisfied soul, help them in this moment to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is your son, that he died in their place and rose again, and that today they can be full, they can be satisfied, they can be forgiven, they can have peace and joy if they will simply repent and believe. Help some today, even some listening by live stream today, to simply bow their head where they are and repent of their sin and surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and be satisfied today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.